How do I protect my children from child sex abuse? How do I make sure that my children are educated in recognizing particular situations that can be harmful to them? Today, I'm meeting with Rosalia Rivera to discuss these topics and also how she got into this field in the first place. I want to warn the listener today that today's topic is going to be of a highly sensitive nature. Rosalia will be covering such topics relating to child sex abuse, rape, and violence against children. If these topics are something that may trigger you, I do not recommend you listen to this episode. You are listening to the Career Path Angel Show, where we talk all about career, business, positive mindset, self-development, and many other fun and exciting topics with one goal in mind, to help new working professionals to fast-track their careers in the corporate world. So what are we waiting for? Let's dive right in. Here is your host, Angel Mary. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Career Path Angel Show. I'm your host, Angel Mary. The Career Path Angel Show is a podcast dedicated to talking about career and business and everything relevant to those topics. Today, I'm very excited. We have a special guest, but before we get into that, if you if you haven't yet hit that subscribe button, please do so now. Today, we have Rosalia Rivera. She is a consent educator and a child sexual abuse prevention specialist, a sexual literacy advocate and a two-time TEDx speaker. She's a rape culture disruptor, and she's also the chair of SAGE, Survivor Advocates Globally Empowered, representing the Brave Movement, and the founder of Consent Parenting, and the host of About Consent podcast, and creatrix of Consent Wear. She's also the co-founder of Survivor's Council of Kanasa. Rosalia is a child sex abuse survivor, turned thriver. She helps busy parents go from fearful and anxious, confident and empowered about teaching their kids about body safety, boundaries, and consent to prevent child sexual abuse. Rosalia is certified in the Canadian Center for Child Protection Commit to Kids Child Sex Sexual Abuse Prevention Training Program and is a certified facilitator of the Stewards of Children Training by Darkness to Light as well as OnWatch. Rosalia has been featured on MSNBC, ABC7, CNN, CTV News, Univision 34, Fox 34, as well as Parents Magazine, Live Well Mind, and Thrive Global. Rosalia has also published articles for Bold Latina and Motherly. Although La Rosalia was born in El Salvador and grew up in New York, she now resides in northern Canada with her life partner and three young kids. Rosalia, welcome to the show. I'm so excited. I feel like I know you because I've been seeing your lives on Instagram, and I am so amazed by this incredible work you're doing. I personally have no personal experience with anything relating to child sex abuse, but I am hugely championing ex- everything that you're doing to elevate the information that you're sharing with parents, aunts, uncles, grandparents, anybody who is a guardian for any t- any children that are out there. And I'm really honored to have you join the podcast. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate your words. And I mean, you're an ally, you know, just because you haven't had the experience um, doesn't mean that you, you know, you have to have that experience to care about this issue. 
and allyship is so valuable. And I really appreciate that. So thanks for having me. Yes, of course. What would you say, and because your role is so dynamic, and given the way careers are going, people can really change the way they really show up in the world and the way they take their passion and something that they're really motivated with purpose and really take that and mold it and shape it into something that really makes you feel purposeful when you wake up in the beginning of the day. How did you get to a point where you were able to just really shift your focus to this place? Yeah. So I have a, a really kind of funny story about how I came to this work. Um, because I, if I if I told you all the different things I did in my life, um, my different sort of careers, you know, it's like, how did you end up there? Yeah, let's, let's, let's um, start, start with that because so yeah. many people are starting their career. And, you know, it the, the statistics show we change careers at least five times. And mm-hmm. the first career you're going after after you graduate school and you're trying to figure out this is what I want to do, you're probably not going to stick to it. So tell yeah. us about that. Yeah. So I, you know, I'll I'll start, I'll I'll try to make this as concise as possible. um, Because it's so funny how where I started led me to where I ultimately wanted to be, but it was such a winding path. So I, um, I when I was in 11th grade, I had this amazing psychology teacher who um, was considered sort of a crazy person in the school, but he was so brilliant. And he helped me understand we watched this movie called Sybil. And it was about this person who had multiple personalities, Sally Field. I think she actually won an award for it. And I watched this film and it was so eye-opening about how someone could have um, a mental disorder based on childhood experiences, childhood trauma. And I thought, oh my God, like this is incredible. I want to pursue psychology. And at at about the same time, my sister had come out explaining that she was, had been abused um, by our father. And this was very shocking to me. Um, and it really helped explain her behavior and then watching this film. And I was like, Oh my God, like, this is what I want to do. I want to help children. I want to help survivors. Like I want to find a way to do that. So I decided to go to university and that was my, that was what I wanted to do was become a psychologist. Now at the time I hadn't come to terms with my own buried memories of my own abuse yet. So I didn't really even understand why I was being triggered by the work that I was learning, like psychology. And in my third year, I decided to step away. I had actually read a book in my political science class about Hiroshima and photography and how photographers had, you know, helped to kind of spread the word about what had actually happened in Hiroshima. And it made this global impact. And I was like, you know what, this is what I want to do. I I feel very creative as a person. I'm going to pursue this. I'm going to put psychology down. That's not, you know, where I'm meant to be right now. And I just took off and did that, you know, and I think a lot of people would be like, oh my God, you didn't. you switched gears to photography? I switched gears (laughs) to photography in year three of university. I didn't pursue it within school. I just like left school and I said, I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go work in the field. Okay. And so I, at the time, was kind of going through a shift personally. Anyway, I moved in with a boyfriend to New York City because I lived in in Long Island, so not that far, but moved out of my house, which for a Latina is like, what? (laughs) That's not very traditional. Yeah, It's just like Asian families. You don't go outside of the house until you're married. No. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, my mom wasn't happy about it, but I've always been the type who's like, I'm just going to like, just jump in. So 
moved out, got a job at this really well-respected commercial photographer's studio as a studio manager. Didn't have experience, but somehow managed to do well on the interview, got the job, and dived into this world of commercial fashion beauty photography and worked within that field for, I would say, about almost five years. All the way up to the top of this other, like, I didn't become a photographer myself during this time, but I worked within the industry. And what I realized when I got to this really good place in my career, where I was the, you know, marketing director of this photography services company, um, doing really well, making good money. um, I came to terms with the fact that I was working within an industry that I felt was really toxic for women. Mm. I remember growing up looking at magazines and thinking, you know, I want to have the perfect skin and I wish I could look like that. And I had tried all the beauty products and I remember hating myself. This was way before the body positivity stuff started coming out. Yeah, yeah. This was back in like 2005, I think about. That was around the time that I decided like I'm I'm done with this, 2006. And um and I, I stepped away from that career and I was like, I'm going to go back to the roots of photography. What I really wanted to do was be a photojournalist. So I went back and I studied documentary photography. I had met somebody um, around this time who was really into like sustainable food. And I was like, I'm going to study sustainable food as my documentary thesis project. Oh, okay. And I decided to go into that. And I was like, I kind of fell in love with farming became an organic farmer for a bit. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) While I was still, yeah, while I was still like doing the whole thing with photography, it was like kind of like testing, you know, these careers. And I'm like, you know, I'm just going to keep following my heart. Right. So through this process, I was like, you know, I I still feel really compelled to talk about, you know, rape culture. It was still something that was, you know, something I wanted to talk about. How is it that women had over, you know, who were maybe rape victims had overcome. And so I was like, I'm going to do some documentary work around that too, while I'm doing this and, you know, kind of doing these passion projects. And when I did that, I realized I was, I was so heavily triggered by the topic still. And I was like, I can't, it's too much. I can't, I can't. Again, not realizing my own trauma, not having done any of my own healing. So I kind of put that work down. I had done a fair bit of, you know, recording people and, you know, doing all the work that you need to do. And it just, it, I couldn't do it. So cut to, I end up having, um, I starting a family and I was like, I can't really have like babies and do the farming thing. It was just like too intense. Um, but what am I going to do now? Right. And right. I had this career in photography and marketing. I had these marketing skills. So I start, I'm like, you know what? I can do some marketing here in my local community. I had moved to Canada at this point too. So okay. very new community. And I was doing really well and I, but I started working with clients again, kind of like they weren't in line with my values. I was working for, you know, I had all this experience with beauty industry stuff and I was like, mm. I knew how to make that look good, but it wasn't what my heart was saying. Like, this is it, you know, I yes. can make money doing it. It was great. I was at the, you know, it's had so, a business it's so thriving. Interesting, right. You do so well. You work so hard, you study, you, you really put yourself into the work. And you do so well at the work. And then there's that intrinsic mm-hmm. value that is not aligned with your core and with the organization you're with. And you exactly. see stuff that's happening in the organization and you're thinking, wait a second, I, I'm i working so hard for what? I don't want to yeah. push this, right? Yeah. And people thought I was crazy. They're like, why are you leaving this? I mean, I was like AT&T building, beautiful, you know, penthouse, like 
office. It was, why would you leave that? But it was just not where my heart was, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. But I had kids and, um, you know, I was doing this agency. I had an agency, had employees. And again, it was just like, this is not my, this is not my calling. I'm good at it, but it's not my calling. Right. So I had to make this hard decision of putting that down and doing some soul searching. So for about a year with my kids, you know, just stay at home mom. And I realized my son was about to go into daycare, into this um, summer program. Right. And I hadn't, at this point, you know, he was going to be away from me for the first time, like completely on his own. And I hadn't done the work of like teaching him how to be safe. And it was at this time I started getting like really anxious and panicky and I'm like, what, why is this triggering me so much? And I started doing the research of like, how do I teach my child all these things? And that became really triggering. And I was like, this is, this is a pattern now. Why is this happening? Right. I went to therapy and I was like, "I, I need help. Like, I don't know what's going on. I think something happened with my dad, but I'm not, you know, and my sister, it happened to my sister. So there, there's a high chance, but these things started to surface, memories started to surface, which was explaining why it was so triggering, why I was like, so desperate to help, you know, keep my kids safe. And as I was doing the work, I couldn't find anyone that was talking about the survivor experience. It was like, just, you know, this is what you're supposed to do. People are very secretive. Uh, Yeah, you're very brave. I mean, you're, you're very open about this. And it does take a lot of work to get to the point where you can be comfortable in your own skin to be able to talk about something so deep and personal. But what you're doing really is giving, taking the shame out of it. Mm-hmm. And um, I I really um, admire you for this because so many people and so many cultures, and you talk about this on your Instagram page, and you talk about this in so many uh, different avenues where people are just so shameful about sharing anything because it's always somebody they know personally when, when that this takes place. And yeah. you're trying to protect the person that you love in your family, potentially, or a close family friend or whoever it is. And it becomes this sort of dirty thing that you like, why are you holding it a secret? Because then it you know, you know yeah. what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's the that's the whole thing. I, you know, have to give credit where it's due also because I've also been inspired by other survivors who came out and that gave me courage. And so this is why I'm paying it forward, right? It's like right. if they were able to do it and it allowed me to recognize that I didn't need to have shame, I can do that for others too. And so that was part of what made me decide to take that step. But it wasn't right away. It was like when I started, I was like, I'm gonna talk about this from the outside, you know, like, this is why we need to talk about it. And so when I realized, like, this is triggering, I need help, I figured out how I could navigate it. And there wasn't I didn't see it anywhere else. I realized this is a gap in the market. This is a gap in the space where no one's talking about it from the parent survivor perspective, right? Right. Um, And so that's where consent parenting was born. And as I started doing this work, it was like, I felt so alive. I don't think I've ever felt more like jump out of bed in the morning feeling, you know, where I was like, my, my calling, my passion, my purpose, all the skills I gained in marketing, like it all came together, you know? And at this point I was just, you know, like in my late thirties, And, you know, I think a lot of people think, well, if I don't haven't done it by the time I'm this age, like, 
what am I doing with my life? Uh, and it's like, no, 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 it's a journey. <laughs> it's a journey. And also, I think because of social media and because we see all these like young people who are super successful, sometimes mm-hmm. you're like, oh my God, I'm, 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 I maybe I'm, I'm going to be hung out to dry soon because I'm just like a has been. I'm getting old. But the truth is, and one of the, one of my past podcasts, I, I had interviewed a, a business owner who had done something similar to you where he had worked so hard, went all the way up to the top. And then he walked away to start his own business in a similar fashion. And the average age is actually 40 to start a business. And most people don't even realize that, that your starting time, it's because of all of the years of experience we've had, right? Studying and all of the trials and errors. And, you know, every place along your path actually helps support what you're doing right now. Yeah, totally. And, you know, I just want to also say for anyone listening, I went through the whole I'm a failure, like cycle, you know, when I closed my business, my marketing business, the last thing that I did before starting consent parenting, I went through like months of feeling like I failed, you know, and, and I could have, you know, there were challenges that I had no experience as a business owner. I was just testing the waters, you know, and I like creatively, I was smashing, like it was, I was killing it. It was great. But on the business end, it was a challenge and I didn't have a lot of skills. So having those really like in life lessons, you know, of this is what I did wrong. This is what I learned. This is what I can take away that I can, you know, use to succeed. All of that has helped me make consent parenting so successful because I, I've been blown away by how quickly it's grown, how well it's been received. Um, but that's all because of that sweat equity that I had put in for all of those years and all those other careers and all that I learned. Um, and and to now be doing it with so much joy, I think that's part of what it continues Definitely. to make it successful too. Definitely. It's like, I love what I'm doing. I know that it's helping parents. You know, the beginning, it was like, it was kind of crickets. You know, I think for most people, when they start on social media, they're like, is anybody even listening? You know, yeah. but if you're really passionate about what you do and you're really dedicated and committed to helping people, whatever that is. Yes. Whether it's like, you know, designing jewelry that's going to make somebody feel great, you know, that's still serving someone in a in a way, right? Yes. If you're committed to making someone feel good or helping someone solve a problem and that's your you're like doing it from a place of passion i cannot see how you would fail like yeah. you and will think, learn along the way and what you're yeah. saying is so true right we want to help someone else and i think if the motivator is on somebody else that you're trying to support it like for you it's a you're you're putting output you're putting energy out there to improve people's lives that's a natural motivator it's the yeah. purpose right because in in my in a past life i was working in finance I wanted to make a lot of money. And then I got in there and I realized this is definitely not what I want to do. I don't care about money. <laughs> I don't know why that was the 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 point. Like maybe this is the society we're in. Everybody mm-hmm. wants to make a lot of money and everything. And then you get in there and you're like, I have no passion for this. I don't like looking at numbers all day. And I, I find what very very interesting about your background is you're creative and you've been a creative from the very start. So you never mm-hmm. stopped in terms of your continuity of who you were from the very beginning to now where you are. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And I, I, your niche, you're in a niche too, which makes it a little bit, It look you, you found an area where people don't have anything, anyone else really talking to them about what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting too, because I think 
anyone who's like, well, no one's going to want to listen to what I have to say. Listen, I'm here to tell you <laughs> if, if, if I can talk about this topic, which nobody wants to talk about, you can talk about whatever it is that you're talking about. And I'm sure that there are people who are going to listen and say, oh, finally, somebody's talking about this. Right. You know, there's a there's a need for it. And it's just a matter of like, maybe you're the perfect person with the right message, with the right way to deliver it, you know, that has the, the right story that's going to resonate, you know. And the other piece, too, that I think is really key for people to know is when you are are just getting started at something, um, you you have to really hold on to that purpose, right? Like for me, the purpose is I really want kids to be protected, and I know how the how the long term consequences of this plays out in people's lives, right? Like right. we tend to think, oh yeah, of course we want to protect children, but it's like we're protecting a person, a child who becomes an adult in the world, and what are the consequences, right? So. For me, that's the long term. I look at that and I and I stay true to that message. And I know it's going to resonate eventually. It it took a while, you know, yes. but once the ball got rolling, it was like the momentum really I'm took gonna, off. I'm going to be honest with you. One of my personal, I have two sons. They're teens now, older, um, and they're grown, really. They know what's what. But I was deathly afraid of leaving them anywhere. Uh, and that was one of the reasons why... I decided to leave the workforce to be a stay-at-home mom for seven years mm. because I really felt like they were too little. They wouldn't be able to talk to me and tell me what's going on. And it was too scary for me to put them with someone I would have just literally met once mm -hmm. or twice. And if I had had a resource like yours, where I could have looked at all of the different ways to actually talk to kids. And so many people who are going to be listening are young parents with exactly the demographic you're talking to on your page and on your TEDx talk and everything. They are also having to make that decision that they don't have a choice. I was fortunate I was able to stay home. My husband was able to support me in that time period. But we were both aligned in that we didn't want that mm -hmm. for that period. But everyone doesn't have that. So right. you're you're offering now, and I'd like you to share with the audience, um, really, what is the best way to talk to your child? How do you go about it? Because I think this is a very, like, sh like, people take shame, or they feel embarrassed, or they feel some kind of way about bringing a topic about sex up to their young children, especially when it's way before the time that they talk about the birds and bees. So yeah. how would you how would you describe the best way to go about doing that? Yeah. Thanks for asking that. So I, there's a couple of things as I've learned throughout my, my career about this, um, that there's this sort of mentality that we have to teach our kids. Cause this was my mentality going into it. We have to teach our kids how to protect themselves. Right. Right. And the truth is it's not our kid's job to protect themselves. It's our job to protect them. And so we still want to teach them because we want them to have the knowledge of body safety, but it starts from this place of empowerment and not fear. And so this is why I talk about consent first, because consent has to do with teaching kids about their body autonomy, their boundaries, and what consent is, right? That people should ask for permission. They shouldn't just assume that they can just pick up a kid or tickle them or hug them or whatever. Right. So we want kids to know that and we want to empower them to understand body rights. That's the first piece that we should be teaching them. But when they're really little and they don't understand what we're saying, we have to talk to the adults in their lives about the work that we're doing, what right. we're what we're planning on doing, what our body 
policies are going to be, right? Body boundary policies are going to be. So this is really challenging in some cultures because you're going to get pushback. Yeah. And that's a reality that we all have to accept because, you know, if you watch my TED Talk, you'll see that I talk about it wasn't until 1924 that there was even an acknowledgement of children's rights, right? Like that's Mm -hmm. literally just shy of 100 years ago. So not that long ago, actually, not that long ago. Yeah. So that's just a few generations, which is why it's so hard for older generations to wrap their heads around like, what are you talking about kids rights? Like, they should be respectful. And I should be able to pick them up. I mean, culturally, I'm I'm just thinking right now, if I had walked up to my mom or dad or my in laws, and I said, okay, grandparents, this is how we're going to play this. There would have been definitely pushback because it's not yeah. culturally how our Asian culture functions. And so it would be like, well, we're not like other people. And they would yeah. try to talk it away. Yeah. And they wouldn't see it from the perspective of the child. It's always the perspective of what the adult needs are. Absolutely. It's adultism, really. <laughs> right. what it is. And and that's that's across the spectrum. I mean, Latinos, I think, you know, Black culture, all kind. I mean, even white culture, I think just this is a global perspective and it is more saturated in some cultures than others. Mm-hmm. But nevertheless, that that's just the standard. And so we're really cycle breakers. We're change makers. You're disrupting. We are setting. Yeah, we're disrupting this norm and saying, no, that's not actually how it is. You know, and here's why. If you want to teach a child about respect, you have to model that. Right. We're, right. What I'm teaching is a different way to teach about respect. So I'm not raising a rude child. I'm raising a child that's learning how to respect the rights of others by understanding that their rights matter, too. Right. And right. so this is, you know, when we introduce these conversations, we're doing it from a place of courage. And so, you know, right off the bat, I always tell parents, you're doing something that's courageous because you're going against the culture. Right. You're, you're going against mainstream. So we have to get comfortable with that if we really are serious about protecting kids. And the more of us that have these conversations, the more normalized that becomes. We we stop being the weird ones, you know, because then it's like, oh, this is actually what should be, right? And then that that part, what you just said, normalizing, that's the part that has been shaped for so long that it's been normal not to talk about it. mm -hmm. So the moment you raise this topic, and you're going to get pushed back. Let's say you, you go to your 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 in-laws your or your brother-in-law or your, your sister, whoever you're going to, and they have you maybe you trust that person, but you, they have boyfriends or girlfriends or people that they're bringing in that you don't even know. How do you because, you know, people are very protective of their people, their outside people sure. that they're bringing in more so than your child. Yeah. How do you delicately talk to these individuals, whether it's your family, your friends, whoever? How do you say this in a way that will not come off as it's an attack on them because people tend to take it as an attack. So oh, how, do you sure. fr- how do you frame that? Yeah, yeah. This is <laughs> one of my favorite questions. So I think we have to be okay with the pushback, first of all. You may never convince somebody. Somebody may be so self-centered and self-absorbed that they refuse to see the perspective that you're trying to share. So we have to, number one, be okay with that and then be okay with setting a boundary against that person, right? right. So that's first. We have to recognize, is this ultimately going to be a safe situation or a safe person for my child? And if it's not, because they are refusing to see this perspective, then I have to make the decision of not allowing one-on-one access, right? right? So that's first of all. Second of all, 
we can start with a place of compassion for that person, recognizing that they are just as ignorant or uneducated as most of the world. And so it's our job to not just educate our kids, but to educate the adults in our kids' lives. So we can do that by saying, hey, I just started learning about this and here's what I've learned. And it's mind-blowing because I didn't know this growing up. I didn't realize that one in four girls and one in six boys that this happens to. Yeah. Isn't that a crazy statistic? Like yeah, I had really no high. idea. That's Most people, high. it is, it's 25% of women, right? And and that's probably a conservative number because we know that a large percentage of children don't report. They don't right. disclose abuse until 20, 30, 40 years later, right. right? So this is why we know that these rates are probably higher. But let's say, you know, we're talking about children. So you, you share these, you know, statistics with them. The, the COVID-19 pandemic has increased this number. The cases are growing, right? Mm. Kids who have access to cell phones now have access to pornography, explicit content, potential predators that are accessing them, right? right? And so right. learning all of this, I've realized how important it is for me to teach my child as early as possible about body safety. And so right. as I learned about this, I started doing some research and I learned about these different methods and I learned about grooming and what grooming means. And so we're starting to teach our child about body safety. I know it seems really young and we're going to actually ask for help from everybody who's a safe person in their life. And so I wanted to tell you about it because I would love for you to help be part of our safety team. So if you're interested in that, I can share with you what we're doing and some of the ways and we would love to have your support. Oh, I love that. Now you're bringing somebody in, right? (laughs) You're bringing them in instead of making them feel called out because you're, you're saying I, you know, and then if there is a potential offender in your child's circle, they're going to go, Oh, they're going to step back and go, yeah, this is not somebody I want to mess with. This is not a family. This is not a child that I can get away with this. Right. So because because when, once you address it and there is a potential predator in that mix, they're no longer interested because they know that there's a alert parent. They want the easiest target. They're going after a parent who's uneducated, a child who is, you know, shy, who doesn't know how to set boundaries. They are essentially someone who, you know, wants that easy, is not going to get caught person and family, right? So this is where you speaking up in a way that isn't necessarily calling them out directly, right? you know, is is making it known that we're hands off. Mm -hmm. We're teaching our kids, right? Right. Right. And my child is going to be educated. I'm a vigilant parent. I'm aware and educated of the stats. I know what grooming is, mm. right? right? So this, when your child is really young, this is one of the most powerful things you can do to protect them because they can't do it themselves just yet. Yes. And that there was one other thing that you brought up in um, one of your posts that I had never known but is a, I believe it's a current thing because of social media and the access to technology is the fact that older siblings sometimes get themselves uh, into compromising positions, talking to people online, and then those people tricking those kids into doing inappropriate things with their younger sibling and yeah. sending that imagery over the airways. Yeah, 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 there's. There's, I mean, there's so many ways that people don't realize how online abuse translates to offline abuse 
it eventually will translate offline because that's where it starts. That's how it's getting recorded and, and distributed. Um, there's networks of offenders that trade this content among themselves, right? It's currency. So wow. we have to be aware of that. But, as, you know, as it relates to siblings, right, the, a lot of parents don't realize why it's so important to educate kids about online safety when they're older, particularly if they have younger siblings, why it's important to educate those younger siblings about body safety so that if something were to happen, that the younger child can say something to the parent, right, and right. know that it's safe. So, you know, if all of these things are key, like it's yeah. just really important to talk to kids at all ages about body safety. One thing I wanted to bring up and just to switch gears real quick was I am so impressed by you raising the red flag, uh, telling everybody, you know, about Netflix and finding out that there was a show that was showing inappropriate content. Do you want to expand a little bit on that? Yeah, I, there's so there's actually various shows. So Netflix has a show called Battle Kitty. And I was, you know, I watched this with my children and I recognized right away, this is inappropriate. There's innuendos. There's obvious, you know, things that they're doing that are inappropriate. So I decided to use my platform to call them out. And, you know, the New York Post contacted me because they saw it and they said, you know, we want to like let more parents know. I'm planning on taking this further because there's other shows on Netflix yes. and on other networks. So we we need to be speaking up about these we things be because proactive. otherwise it just gets through. You know, I had some parents who were like, oh, but Ren and Stimpy in the 90s. And I'm like, yeah, Ren and Stimpy in the 90s shouldn't have happened. Yeah. It, parents should have called it out, too. Like, yes. just because it happened back then doesn't mean it's OK for it to happen now. And we continue to normalize and it continues to get worse. The sexualization of media towards children escalates. And we're just, what are we, say, what are we saying is okay then? What yes. are we, you know, at, approving? At what point are, at what point are we like drawing the line saying, this is it, we're not allowing this as parents, exactly. as a society, really. It's exactly. as a society. Because like the whole thing with the Balencia scandal, um, with the, you know, them dressing up BDSM on a teddy bear. Teddy bears, yeah. Ridiculous. And, and you know, coming from a marketing background, like this is outrageous what they're doing. Yeah. Things like that slide in that industry so much that it got to the point that this was allowed. And yeah. this this kind of these kinds of things are just having parents be, I guess they can't really be asleep at the wheel. They have to always be on high alert when they yeah. have young children. Unfortunately. And it's not to say, you know, we have to do every single thing. I think that's why there are, you know, content creators who are trying to call those things out, but we have to be paying attention. Right. And then yes. say, OK, you know what? I'm on board with what this person is saying. And I agree this shouldn't happen. And I'm going to use my voice to also add to this. Right. And say, no, we're not OK with this Netflix. No, we're not OK with this show. So, yeah, we all have to stay proactive about it. And ultimately, we are that first line of defense. If we don't do it, who else is going to? Yes. I, Rosalia, I'm so impressed by you. You touched on so many things. One of the, the biggest things regarding your career path in that I found really interesting that I love is there was really nothing you did in your past that didn't help you know almost every yeah. single thing you did led you to this place in this moment where you are supporting and helping so many people around the whole entire world I am so honored that you joined me today here to well, share all of these tips and I'm I'm really I have a lot of admiration for you and I just want to thank you sincerely for coming on and again sharing all of this really critical information to protect children thank you I appreciate that thanks for having me no problem thank you 
Thank you for tuning into the Career Path Angel Show with Angel Mary. Something you want to hear Angel talk about on the show? Contact Angel through Instagram or TikTok to let her know. Hit subscribe to make sure you never miss an episode and be sure to share it with your friends. Till next time, stay confident, stay positive, and never give up.